0: Happy Thursday everybody. I'm Jade Scott. This is Growth RX and we are live at lunch today with a special COVID edition for you all. Just bear with me as I head back and attempt to share my screen with you. I've put together a bit of a presentation for you today. It's taken me over the last 24 hours to update myself, but I thought that it was pretty important to all come together with the changes across the country and across the state. Uh, with Victorian borders going into lockdown, hotspots in Melbourne, and that's uncertainty and a little bit of despair coming back into some of our clinics and some of our lives, particularly as our loved ones are locked away again. Usually I would be joined here with a very special host and part of RX is about showcasing the amazing things that our leaders are doing in the industry. But you know, today I guess when something I'm really passionate about, part of my uh, background is in leadership development, and so it's a time when I pride myself on communication and pulling together a lot of information that hopefully might help some other people. So a little bit on me because I've got no nobody asking me questions here today. I I am a fearless leader. I am a hater of Crocs. I my background is in osteopathy. I'm also the owner and director of a large allied health practice in the outer western suburbs of Melbourne. So we are in the thick of it at the moment. We are surrounded by hotspots. We're surrounded by people who are very afraid. And I guess keeping up to date with all of the regulations and restrictions at the moment is front of mind for me in an effort to keep my team and my staff safe. So what I've done is tried to do my best over the last 24 hours to put together the changes to do a recap on some of the information that I presented earlier in March this year for Osteopathy Australia, who I was privileged to be a, a part of that webinar and deliver that to the wider osteopathic community. But obviously in Growth RX, we've got a huge number of people in allied health from osteopathy to chiropractic, physiotherapy, my therapist in the group, massage, podiatry, exercise, phys. And at the end of the day, we are the ones who are touching patients. We are in close contact. We are doing face-to-face contact. Now, today is certainly not about judgment. There are clinics out there that have chosen to close. There are clinics out there that have reopened after the restrictions. The dissonance that we feel at the moment is very, very real. So today is not about judgment. It's about delivering fact. So it's with great pleasure that I show you and share my screen with you now and hopefully have you join me in the presentation today that i've called the next new normal i think for a lot of us we were searching for normality and we realized that the old normal that we knew would be no longer the world that we know it the comforts that we had the social comforts and interactions and connections that we had no longer exist or not in the near future anyway We sit back and we watch what's happening around the world, and we are firstly extremely lucky to live in a country that is no short of a very large island. We can close international flights off, we can regulate flights coming in, and we don't have borders like Europe and America where there's so many areas for which that we can cross. So we are in a very, very, what I would call lucky and privileged position. But, Things are getting a little bit messy down here in Melbourne. This is not a political presentation either, or for me to put against my political judgments. I think all our leaders across Australia are doing their part with the information that they're being delivered. It's very hard to put some prejudice on that. There are some people who are not following guidelines, individuals who are not doing their part for humanity, but all of that aside, we can only work with what we know and we can only act and respond accordingly. So with that, on a personal note, I just wanted to make it really clear that what I'm presenting today is by no means final. Uh, Please do your own research, please do your own reading. Whilst I sat for hours yesterday compiling and putting a lot of this together, you do have a duty of care for yourself, for your team and for the people around you to make sure that you are up to date with the restrictions and by helping you all, I certainly don't want to get myself in trouble. So a lot of what I'm presenting is very much cut and paste from DHHS and from the Australian government websites. For those of you who are joining us from around the globe, I'm really sorry, but this is certainly focused on Australian osteopaths, but there are some over in the UK that I've dealt with that have been through a lot of this before and can certainly offer some advice as things start to escalate here. So, as I mentioned, I am not a HR specialist. I will be you know, covering a couple of those things. I'm certainly not an employment lawyer. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not an accountant or financial advisor or a medical doctor, but I do specialize in leadership and delivering concise communication to help people remain calm amongst the chaos. And that is my intention today is to deliver as much information to you as possible so that we can go into this really educated about what the future looks like. The reason why I put this together is because of a quote I read yesterday. And again, like most things I do in true Jade Scott style, I do it very, very quickly, but at 150%. And this quote reads that, we're not just fighting a pandemi- pandemic, <clears throat> excuse me, we're fighting an infodemic. And that is the science behind how we communicate the overwhelming information relating to pandemic management. We are getting torn amongst resources, social media, newspapers, borders and countries. Everybody has an opinion on COVID-19. And these opinions are differing greatly. So putting together the right information and the most up-to-date information is really, really important. Just bear with me while I check in to see if, yeah we're going live and my slides are working okay. Hello to everybody who is joining at the moment. I can see there. Hey, Claire Richardson, always uh, a wealth of information. Thank you very much. And thank you to the people who uh, took my calls yesterday and uh, helped me put together a lot of this information. Anthony Nicholas at Osteopathy Australia and a few other colleagues and leaders in the industry. So, The first slide that I wanted to bring to your attention, as at, and again, this is dated by 24 hours, things move so quickly uh, in this time that we kind of have to jump on. I even did updates at eight o'clock this morning, but what I wanted to show you in this image here is just how many people are affected by this. We are certainly in a bubble over here in Australia, and that's not to say that we're not handling things well and we're not adhering to our social distancing, but I just wanted to show this here. Globally, almost 12 million people have been affected by this, and half a million people have died around the world. So whilst this isn't in our front yard right now, this just shows the impact globally and the economic disruption that none of us are exempt so whether this is affecting us and our health and our physical health this is affecting people's mental health financial health and the destruction that is going to come from this is huge it's something that we have never seen in our generation and and I hope to not see again in many many years but this is part of what we are dealing with this with now and I think the scale of this we need to be reminded of and I think if we constantly remind ourselves of this we will realise that things aren't so easy here and we aren't necessarily safe and things can turn at any time. So staying on top of things is really, really, really important. The next slide that I wanted to show is the global deaths and what they're associated with. COVID has killed more people since January this year than any of the other top tier causes that we would normally see, even more, horrifying is the second on this table, which is, is suicide. And there's a very, very scary correlation between what's going on with COVID and what's going on with suicide at the moment. So we need to open our eyes up to this at the moment. And yes, it's not killing masses of people in Australia at the moment, but it is globally, which means it is possible. So we need to do everything we can to keep ourselves, our family and our staff safe. So just to recap at a glance, now this is as at yesterday. I've got a few statistics in the next slide to show you where we're at today. You can see here that even though Victoria is in a state of crisis with emergency restrictions now being thrown upon us over the next six weeks effective from midnight last night, a lot of the cases that we're seeing from COVID and the reported cases are coming in from New South Wales. Now a lot of that are confirmed cases that have presented to us from overseas travel. And the orange that you see off to the right-hand side of your screen is predominantly to do now with community transfer. And this is why things have escalated. And this is where things are different to what they were back in March. We first heard about COVID six months ago. We we heard that it hit China. We heard that it was making its way through some other countries we saw as Italy had to close down, then it fleeced its way through Europe across to America. And again, this is not fear mongering and this is not to suggest that this will happen here in Australia, it's just evident that it can. And this happens through community transmission. This is why I have escalated this presentation today, because community transmission, particularly in Victoria, is on the incline. We've put in place measures to help that, and uh, a lot of people are going back to adhering to lockdown restrictions, which I'm sure that many of you have heard about. But it's the community transmission that is the unknown, and as we know from most viruses, whilst we're fleecing for symptoms. Some people don't have symptoms or are highly contagious prior to getting these. So it's about keeping ourselves safe now that we know that, is, that is, it is spreading out there throughout the community. So in Victoria, which I wanna highlight at the moment, and for those of you who are watching who are not in Victoria, hello and welcome firstly, but I think I, I would welcome you to be here and, and to listen to this because as we know, this can happen at any time. And what happened here in Victoria literally did happen overnight. It happened within a two week, within a couple of weeks. It happened for a multitude of reasons. We had security guards breach their contracts and their requirements in close contact and social distancing. We also had people uh, associating with family members and mass groups. Again, this is not a political agenda, it's just to state the facts. But Basically, as of yesterday, the total number of coronaviruses in Victoria was two thousand nine, so nearing the 300 mark uh, with 134 new cases since yesterday. We are testing a huge amount. We've tested over 900,000 people in Victoria and in New South Wales, the highest rate of testing that's going on at the moment. Some would say higher testing, uh, I guess, more positive results but at the same time we do have that community transmission and we are in desperate need of being able to tackle this we're certainly doing that in hotspots in melbourne and we are we have increased randomized testing in those areas so an increase in 118 from yesterday 123 of those remain under investigation the good thing was is when i was looking at the stats yesterday there were 160 that was still under investigation. So that figure has actually come down. No tests uh, coming in from return travellers from quarantine. So we seem to have a handle on that, but now it's the community transmission that is a little bit more of the issue. 456 cases acquired in Australia where the source of infection was, was unknown. So this is where the traces haven't been able to actually trace that people back. 41 people in hospital at the moment this is up by 6 from yesterday seven patients in intensive care that's actually down by 1 from yesterday which means somebody's actually been released so 30 people have recovered since yesterday so there's lots of positives and lots of negatives here but you know when you actually start to watch these figures and see that we have actually done a million tests now we are trying i guess is a lack of a better word and a lot of state governments uh, are doing you know very different things federal governments they've both got their own opinions on those sorts of things but the stay home directives are very very clear particularly in melbourne we have returned to a lockdown for the next six weeks we are back to stage three uh people living in areas we can't go out of the home again for uh, certain things like shopping food supply healthcare, which is where we come in We are still in the eyes of these regulations deemed an essential service. Outdoor exercise can still go ahead with social distancing in place and then study and work. People are able to travel to and from work. We're gonna talk about the hotspots a little bit later um, and some of the other safety precautions that have changed as a result of the community transmission, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So basically, I just wanted to do a little bit of a recap of the webinar that I did earlier in March where we talked about stage zero, which is the denial. Most of us were in this stage in February. We're certainly not there now. Many of us aren't in denial, but I think there's a second wave of denial happening with the lockdowns, and particularly I would suggest that maybe that could be through other states. In Victoria right now, we are not in a state of denial. We are in lockdown that maybe the denial could be coming from the fact that this might not happen in certain countries, Western Australia, South Australia, the Northern Territory. You haven't seen cases through there. You haven't seen community transmission. States have closed their borders down to Victoria. We are locked away. We are emotionally, I guess, suffering with that. There's a lot of relatives of people who can't cross the borders who would have liked to. But certainly, we are not in denial here anymore. We went through A prepare stage, a prepare for lockdowns, a lot of clinics closed over this time. A lot of clinics continue to work through. Again, whichever choice you made at that particular stage was totally up to you. But what we did at that point, we can be really proud of. A huge number of the measures that we've actually got in place now, we did filter through back in March, and they did work. We saw the figures drop, we saw the curve flatten, we saw the statistics, statistics reduce, and we did see a change. So those of us in, in Victoria can rest assured that hopefully, if we trust in the process, that this could and hopefully will happen again. We increased our communication, we increased our planning, we offered compassion and empathy to those that closed and also that to those that chose to stay open in allied health, and we stepped up and we showed the leadership there are so many clinic owners out there who dealt with this crisis there are many team members out there who stepped up we saw a polarizing of responsibility but ultimately i am very proud of personally what i saw and i think that there's a lot of people that will attest to that as well people stepped up they showed up their confidence did too and the rest of their team did as well And I think that's something that we can look back and be proud of is that we got through that first wave and that first lot of lockdowns and that we can dig deep and and do that again. The things that we focused on back then was escalating our control measures, our cleaning and our hygiene. We're gonna revisit that again soon in the next couple of slides and things that we might be able to add in addition to what we did in the first lockdown period. And for those in other states, what you can potentially prepare for or uh, watch, I guess, behind the scenes of what we're all doing down here in Victoria, just merely to have an understanding of what's going on in the country. We could also control our mindset and how we responded to things. We upped our communication with patients, with staff, our processes, policies and procedures. We improved patient experiences from coming in the door, communication, communicating all the above, our cleanliness and hygiene, we built on our existing relationships. Some of people touch base with databases, previous patients, and just by communicating what was going on with COVID, they generated a few extra patients. They increased team morale. They did a lot of team building. They did Zoom calls. They did a huge number of things that actually helped with that communication. And from what I've heard, a lot of clinics are actually better positioned in regards to patient numbers now than what they were before. I can attest to that, my team, my beautiful team who are watching now, who who stepped up, we are extremely busy at the moment, which is why this is really important to me to get this right and to put these safety measures in place. We have a a very large clinic. We've got a team of almost 40 staff and over 20 full-time practitioners. If I don't do this, And if we don't do this at our clinic and i can extend that hopefully to help out some others if we're not at the forefront of what we need to do then we are failing we're failing miserable miserably and we're not keeping people safe and i would never forgive myself for not trying to do everything i could possibly do we've maintained our health during this time and our relationships we kept exercising i don't know about you but i've never seen so many people out riding walking their dogs uh, you know, the parks are closed in Melbourne again, which my five-year-old daughter is very, very upset about. But you know, we did continue on with all of those processes. We got out running and we, we got networking. A lot of people introduced wonderful telehealth programs, some practitioners that stepped way outside their comfort zone with delivering consultations virtually. So I commend them for doing all of that as well. But above all, we we adapted. We adapted to the change. There's a lot of people that talk about the pivot. In times of uncertainty we talked about unprecedented times. there was a lot of fear that people went through and overcame they dealt with their emotions at the time they saw opportunities and acted on opportunities they also had a huge amount of dissonance and I know that that's still happening now particularly in Victoria you know do we close again do we stay open again it, it is a very individual choice and It needs to be seen and respected as that way without the judgment, because we've already got enough going on with the dissonance that we're feeling, but you know, we don't wanna close our doors to the people that really need us, but by closing our doors, we can keep people safe. So it is a constant daily battle that we deal with, with that cognitive dissonance that we go through and the judgment of others, if we happen to make the wrong call or a different call to them. So we need to actually support each other and we need to actually continue to build this community of support amongst each other, not just in osteopathy or physiotherapy or in chiropractic, that is what Chorothyrox is. It's a platform that brings us together and unites us in a common ground so that we can lead forward. And I think now has never been a greater time to come together in Chorothyrox and include your admin team and communicate all of these things back through offering empathy and compassion. So we acted. And we found solutions. Some people reduced shifts. They reduced hours. There's a typo there. I'm sorry. Um, they reduced into contracted variation hours. One of the sad, uh, you know, things that we're seeing in Victoria is we kind of just felt like we were finding our feet again. Patient numbers were picking up a little bit again, and then all of a sudden you've got business owners who are faced with having to drop patient numbers down. Victorians are a little bit afraid to leave hotspots. They don't know whether they're allowed to come to consultations or not. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered, but you know, one of the things that we don't want to see in those businesses is seeing staff lose hours and things again. So if you are a staff member and you don't want to do hours, this is the time now to step up and actually contribute and invest all over again to make sure that we come out of this on the other side with very strong clinics. Some people made redundancies of staff. There were teams that took annual leave. There was lien cutting of expenses. People didn't purchase stocks. They stopped innovation. There was also people that used those cash injections and stimulus from the governments to actually invest and innovate uh, I, I created a new website with one of our stimulus packages, I think, that we got from a payroll tax reinjection. So we've got we've got a new website underway and new branding. There's different ways that people reinvented themselves. And as long as you, uh, a lot of people stored buffer accounts. I know that I did because you don't know when a second wave was coming and here we are again. But I know that my first JobKeeper reinjection was actually stored away into a bank account for that rainy day in the hope that I might not need to use it but if I do it's there to create a little bit more longevity and job security as we go through these next six weeks. Uh, We had small business incentives that people took on, we we had a lot of people adapt and had fluctuating hours so their their usual hours might have changed a little bit. Um, Teams actually, I I know my team use their own personal mobile phones on silent if they were on a plan to actually call patients in from our in-car waiting. My team did make sacrifices and I know of many other teams that did. They were very resilient, they, they bound together, they talked about their vulnerabilities and all the things that they were feeling and that they were going through. And I think for the most part, we could say that some teams have actually come together stronger from this. Some teams have solidified their already amazing relationships And some have even fallen apart. Some team members have dropped off from some businesses. Some have stepped away, some have taken a different direction. This has been very, very polarizing for clinics. Some have seen it as a a real positive and some are obviously still struggling with the implications that were. Our survival strategies kicked in. You know, what do they look like? Do we have to kind of, you know, dive in and pull them back out again? What extra responsibilities did we take on? I know that, one of the huge weights that I had on my shoulders when we went through our our closure because we couldn't get our hands on sanitizer and all the rest of it. And although short, it's still, I still had a real struggle because I wasn't going into work every day. I didn't have my network of support around me. I had the phones diverted to me instead of my admin team for the first time in about 10 years, I had all the phones and it was really exhausting. And for me in particular, it was mentally exhausting because responsibility as a business owner is one thing that we can't hide from and we can't run away from. And in times of crisis, the responsibility only increases and therefore so too does the mental load. And we need to remember how strong we were the last time. And then we actually need to ask for help. That's one thing that I didn't do back then. I thought that I had to do everything myself. And I think this time around, I will certainly be asking for help more and encouraging others to do that as well. Some people came out of the first wave stronger. We find ourselves in limbo again with these waves. We don't know when a vaccination is coming. We don't know if a third wave is going to come once we get through this one. We actually can't control human behaviour. And a lot of what is happening right now has to do with the social psychology. Some people feel invincible out there. Some people feel like the rules don't apply to them. But at the end of the day, we each individually need to do our part. Our businesses need to do our part and collectively so do our communities. We formalise scripts and procedures. A lot of businesses did that. We called in sacrifices. We asked people to step up. We stayed committed, we stayed consistent, we trusted in the process. We continue all of this communication through this you know, stage two of getting through it, and we need to start tracking statistics again. I've heard from some Melbourne clinics already that cancellations are happening. There are phone calls coming into admin, I live in a hotspot area, am I allowed to come to my treatment? We're in the process of putting together some templates to allow patients to travel. There's some clinics out there that are not allowing patients from hotspots to come. Again, this is very, very individual, but the restrictions at the moment that is that you can travel for medical care and essential services. Whether you see those to be life threatening or not, it comes down to open interpretation. Again, something I'm not gonna comment on today. So survival of the second wave of and beyond. We need to remember that we have done this before. Patient numbers might drop off again, but there is we do need to allow for a little bit of fear and people finding their own way. And social proof is really, really important here. When people feel unsafe, and I know that you will see this in some of the supermarkets again already, and, and thankfully you're not seeing this in other states, but our our supermarket shelves are empty again. Our toilet paper, is drying up again our food stocks people are panicking it is it is genetic to do so a herd herd like mentality means that what others do we all do It is survival of the fittest and yes it is deemed to be selfish and insensitive and i don't doubt that but people are also in survival mode and they're trying to do that for their loved ones and look after their family as long as the you know people are at high risk are very much looked after and we can do our place in there too we just need to not be stupid and not be shit humans um and that's pretty much what it comes down to but unfortunately we are seeing that again here in victoria so other stats uh, and other other states hopefully won't follow suit with the border crossings but you know job keeper that is meant to be may or may not continue No one knows what these government incentives are going to be. Victoria certainly is going to have our economy drastically hit over the next six weeks. We haven't had other announcements on any further incentive packages at the moment. But one of the things that I said very early on in this piece is I I don't think that we're going into a depression or a recession. What I believe that I'm seeing, and I'm not an, an economist here, we're going into a suppression. We're actually suppressing people's financial situations with government handouts. And I'm not suggesting that we don't need them and that they are crucial to people who are losing their jobs and putting on stand-down and the rest of it. But there's half of the economy out there that have been unaffected, and the other half are greatly affected, and these injections are going out there. So my my suggestion is, is the money that is coming in at the moment and whatever stimulus they are, Make sure you're using them accordingly and and planning accordingly because cash flow is really, really important. And and without cash flow, we don't have consistency and we certainly don't have growth and we can't survive in any business or in any income or wages without cash flow coming in. And if it's not coming in through patients or the economy, then businesses will will very, very quickly dry up. So the way that we can sustain ourselves at the moment is through communication. We, again, can start tracking our cancellation list in detail. You know, in other states, I'm hoping that, you know, some of you are potentially doing that. It is follow-up calls, just touching base with patients, just seeing how they're going. This isn't a hard sell, come back and see us, come back and see us. This is genuine, authentic empathy for what people are going through right now and the fact that we are all in this together. Some businesses I know who I'm talking to are offering free, free services uh, to those people who have lost their jobs. They're doing free education. The amount of amazing online platforms that we're seeing, people delivering free education and free Pilates classes and exercise classes and just general social media has increased. It's been really nice to watch. And I know personally, I'm learning a lot from seeing what other businesses are doing during this time. There's a lot of people that are reinventing certain things there's copying certain ideas i think as long as it's it's helping everybody then all of us working together to get these ideas out there and sharing these ideas that are going to help our businesses and our patients uh, our ultimate end games is, is something that we could probably step up and, and continue to do more of hopefully um, we can recommence telehealth for those businesses in Victoria that potentially may have stopped it or reduced their offerings of telehealth when face-to-face was reintroduced. We can always certainly bring that back in. We can explore other skill sets and upskill into offering things like fizzy track. We never had that before at our clinic. You might say that we're in a bit of the dark ages, but you know, a lot of our patients have loved the introduction of that. We've used the time to retrain and script our admin team, particularly now in Victoria and even before the announcements were happening in the lockdowns, we got a huge number of phone calls from patients. Can I come? Can I come? Scripting your admin team so they are equipped to deal with these phone calls is really, really important. And certain things like, yes, you can still come, we're still deemed to be an essential service in, in the eyes of the advice provided by the state government or the federal government. Uh, when it comes to travel time, Essential services can still travel from hotspot areas as long as they've got an authority. We'll go through some of that stuff a little bit later. But make sure that you've, you're scripting your team, or you know, if you're unsure how to deliver that, then you know this presentation is actually a great way of getting them to watch it. Um, you know, after after the fact. So, increase correspondence, increase weekly, or you know, some people have been doing daily emails, depends on how often you wanna be able to send them, but just little updates, even if that's just on your social media. We need to remain a trusted source and a familiar face during these times. People gain comfort from people that they're really familiar with, and that's what we can offer at the moment more than anything. We can market to extend our reach. We can increase GP letters, stay in contact with the GPs with what measures you've actually put in in place. As I said before, lots of courses, online stretches, little tidbits and and advice for patients, giving back through charitable efforts and donations. Newsletters and blogs uh, have been increased, patient information sheets, common conditions, resources. There are some uh, practitioners who are getting JobKeeper who are maybe not going into their clinic because they are not opening or their hours have been reduced. There's a huge amount of stuff here that can be done from home with non-face-to-face contact. So this is a really, really valuable list of things that you can actually deliver to your team and hopefully be able to increase that productivity when they're not seeing patients, community networking, you know, managing a Facebook, even a private Facebook group just for patients alone, rather than running your usual page. And, you know, information, patient information and tutorials via live Zoom. I think I don't know too many people now who aren't using Zoom or some sort of virtual connection uh, between patients or their staff. So above all, we have really implemented measures to stay safe starting from the very, very beginning with our websites. There's a lot of website pop-up warnings now, warning people about the need to uh, deliver, whether they're suffering with symptoms or stay home or cancel appointments, recent recent contacts with anyone who may be suffering with symptoms or who have tested positive. Now we probably could update those websites, whether people have actually been, uh, if you are in a rural area, whether people have been in close contact with anyone from Melbourne over the last week, you can inc- increase your screening process over the phone. And I know that there's a little bit of uncertainty. We've got Melbourne here, and whilst a lot of our cases are isolated to, to Melbourne and particular pockets of, of and zip codes that, are, that were initially locked down in the hot hotspots, there's rural, victoria who is currently not locked down and so increasing your screening of people coming and going and one of the precautions that we'll talk about a little bit is practitioners traveling to these areas who might have a city clinic job and then who might work a two days a week so we'll probably have to address that sort of stuff as well telehealth options you can sort of offer over the phone uh, and this is a, and certainly not an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but it's some of the things that we've put in place and collectively I've gathered information from a lot of what other clinics are doing and presenting this to you here today. So in-car waiting in patients, even a step up from that is something that we've introduced lately, which is actually taking the case history over the phone while patients are in the car. The COVID app kicks in from close contact from 20 minutes um, or more, or to actually reduce the transmission, it is reducing the amount of face-to-face contact that we have with people. So if you would normally have a 30-minute consultation and 10 minutes of that Mm. is talking via case history, then you want to reduce that time. So potentially you could do a lot of that in the car and then get them to come straight in and lie down on the table just as a means or a new measure of actually reducing that face-to-face contact. Sanitization stations and entry, there's been a little bit of controversy that a lot of clinics opened with the same procedures they had in place before, but now with a sanitization station. That certainly doesn't mean escalated measures just because you've got your own clinic back in place and sanitizer. So taking that a step up and actually plastering some informational sheets around your waiting room area, on the door before entry, on the door of every treatment room. A lot of clinics are doing this already, but you know, I guess my point with that is it's not just about business as usual with hand sanitizer, it's about stepping everything up. Um, having the decal stickers on the floor, I've got a great contact for that, which I post into the group and a lot of you actually jumped on that, so there's a lot of people on that. Now, into this second wave, it is certainly recommended to have clear signage for social distancing in waiting room and public areas. So stand behind the line or certain dots that they should be standing on. To reduce the surface contact, we actually removed our furniture from the waiting room. We did reintroduce it, but it will be removed again. Um, So little things like that as well, just to reduce the amount of surface contact that's required and just constantly remind people about that distancing. The in-car entrance temperature checks, a lot of people have put in place now prior to their appointment. So at entry at the door of coming into the clinic, linen, a lot of people remove that from their treatment room, suggesting patients can even bring their own linen or just having none at all. Particular uh, escalated cleaning measures for beds, tables, contact surfaces wiped down before and after treatments, doorknobs, handles, all of those sorts of things, bench tops constantly being cleaned all the time, allowing for a staggering of clients to minimise the time in waiting room areas and to allow for disinfection, establish a logged public area cleaning register. is something that's been advised from my therapy association is that an actual logged cleaning register over a 28-day period and tracked where every time cleaning measures have actually done been put in place this is now actually logged so that it can be referenced so that you can be showing clearly that you are adhering to all of the measures possible so that's something that a few people could introduce if they're not already is just creating a spreadsheet and having somebody sign off on it every time they actually go about doing these particular measures. Cough screen protections, there's a huge number of clinics with them put out there. I was very impressed when I announced those and a lot of clinics jumped on the board. Those cashless and contactless payments, avoiding the use of or the exchange of cash from patients, removing pens to have to sign from slips. I don't know the legalities of that when it comes to FBOS or HICAP, so make sure that you check up on that. But um, you know, not being able to have to sign those paper receipts could actually, again, eliminate the amount of contact that we're having, and things that we have to clean. We don't want to have to disinfect a pen every time somebody uses it. So dropping pens is just you know another measure. Um, access to industrial TGA-approved and evidence-supported surface spray. There's a lot of people using sprays out there, and I know that they're suggesting that soap and all of that sort of stuff works. Just to make sure what you are using has been approved um i am very very excited i've been working really closely with the distributor here in australia there's only four distributors in the whole country and i have just been approved from one distributor um i'll send some photos and i can show you here but this is if i can show you a new anti Microbial spray that says kills coronavirus. It is actually proven to kill 99.9% of germs, including coronavirus, lasting up to 30 days. This is a surface spray that they suggest, if a surface is not being contacted, can be sprayed on and it remains safe for 30 days. I'm awaiting lab testing specifically for allied health professionals. The suggestion now is that we can re spray every five days. Um, But, you know, in my book, I'll be getting it, I'll be spraying and I'll probably be doing that um, after everybody finishes up at the end of each night in a treatment room. But this, it actually is known to actually kill in the air particles, everything like that. So this is amazing and they've just received a contract to supply one of the major suppliers. The other three are supplying the hospitals in Australia, but this is one supplier that I have talked them into being able to supply to allied health professionals. So I will send you the link for an expression of interest to go straight to that supplier in the coming days, but we're just going through the final stages of testing. So that is really positive that we've got an amazing, something that we can just spray everything, spray the air uh, and feel a little bit safer. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to introduce that. One of the other things as well is to ensure, evidence suggests that, ins- that good, Room ventilation, so at the very least, opening up windows and all of that sort of stuff, all of those sorts of things can help. Um, there's limited evidence on the efficacy of uh, ventilators and air purifiers. There's, uh, as long as they've got like a HEPA filter, then as far as from my reading, and you'll have to do your own reading, they are, can be, they can be quite good. I know that there's a $49 one at Kmart, Hopefully, I haven't just done a surge of sales at Kmart, where you can put those air ventilators in the room, and that can just help with the ventilation and actually, uh, and you know, with the recycling of air. So, moving on from that, PPE—it's a hot topic at the moment. It's been something I've, I've been looking at for months and months and months, and I'm constantly doing readings and updates on this. There's a lot of countries that are talking about it. There's a lot of uh, you know, World Health Organization documents that are saying that it's not airborne, that it is, that you know, now, now we know uh, through evidence how people are actually catching it. And it is from droplets in the air that are being passed on from a multitude of different measures. Through contact, through a bathroom, through coughing, the evidence in the article that I've got up there at the top, that releases about 3,000 droplets. Every cough and that droplets can travel up to 50 miles per hour, which is pretty scary. A sneeze, 30,000 droplets, and obviously coming out at a, a, a much faster rate. And then you've also got breath, so far less droplets. And even though I know when I'm sitting here at the moment as well, and, and the way that I'm talking and how we converse and take case, case histories face to face, even just breathing and talking is gonna increase the amount of droplets that are actually hitting into the air. So with that, for me, I've been scratching my head for a really long time, wondering why we're not wearing masks. Now, firstly, masks are very, very important for the hospitals, and again, it's certainly not my place to be giving recommendations to the whole of Australia. But as of yesterday, I can confirm that the acting chief medical officer Professor Michael Kidd has recommended that all health professionals in Greater Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire seeing any patient for any reason should wear a surgical mask. This has been announced also on the APA Members Forum and also from Osteopathy Australia, the Australian Myotherapy Association as well. It is very clear now that if you are in Melbourne or in the Mitchell Shire and you are treating face-to-face you should be wearing a mask. I think there's a few people after this who are gonna jump straight online and buy a whole lot of masks. Um, Standard surgical mask or medical surgical mask is what we've been using at our clinic At, at the moment. We have had access to N95 masks at the moment as well. They are great for ventilation, but this is what the recommendation is as it stands. So if you are not using measures like masks, for your practitioners, particularly those coming from hotspot areas. Now that this is the advice that's been put on, I think it's something that you could, uh, or you need to very seriously consider getting a handle on. Masks provide droplet barriers for coughing, sneezing, and talking the known rates or means of transmission for COVID. So any means that you can create a barrier to stop those droplets entering the atmosphere, the space, or the proximity of the environment, you are going to reduce your risks of transfer. So uh, practitioners definitely provided for patients. We, we will be doing that in the coming days as soon as we can access enough. Um, I know that, you know, Anthony suggested that for health, allied health workers, they have stockpiled these in the numbers of 1.5 million masks coming in. You can access these now via your local primary health network. When I did access them back then, I was given a free box of 50. I don't know what that looks like now with these new recommendations, but there are certain ones that you can go through through your local primary healthcare network and get free boxes of those. Again, they're very minimal and they're distributed very, very widely. So I would say that there's gonna have to be a personal investment into these as well. DHH suggests as well that for optimum benefit, these should be replaced every four hours, which means most practitioners should be going through, or on an entire day shift, roughly about two a day. And you also need to know how to fasten these properly. Once they're secure, you don't want to be touching them. Beads are also known to um, not uh, to reduce the effic- efficacy of it, um, and this is where I'd like to. Say thank you to Elaine Stevenson. Uh, over the last couple of days, she's definitely given me some amazing resources and she's been doing wonderful things, posting into the group daily updates and statistics. She is very, very passionate about ensuring that clinics remain safe and do everything that they can. So she has been a wonderful, wonderful support to me in bouncing some ideas off for this presentation. So thank you um, if you're watching this. So what else, what else do we need to know? This is particularly for Victorian, uh, the Victoria State and those in Melbourne in particular. Hopefully this doesn't uh, spread itself across Australia, but it's kind of good to know. Essential workers are still able to travel to and from hotspot areas, but usually, they are if they do get pulled over they're going to need evidence at some of these roadblocks i don't know about some of you but where we are in the outer western suburbs and particularly between melton bacchus marsh even coming from geelong across to melbourne there are huge huge delays and waits where police cars like times 10 police cars are stopping cars and asking for practitioners to be able to provide, or anyone to be able to provide this evidence to be able to travel to and from work. So I know that um, Osteopathy Australia are providing some templates. I'm sure that um, the APA are providing these as well. We've got some templates that I'm happy to share as well that we've provided with our staff, just to give evidence so that they can actually travel to deem that they're healthcare workers. If you don't, have a letter on you when you are traveling for work then some of the feedback has been that they've been asked to see whether you are actually listed on a website they are checking so it's just better to actually have these letters on you and this includes permits to cross the victorian border there's a 50 kilometer border residence where even even people living either side of a border still need to be able to produce a permit i know when it comes to the victorian border closures as announced from yesterday if you do extend past that 50 kilometer bubble i guess they're calling it uh, going into new south wales or anyone coming out of victoria will need to isolate for 14 days um, So yeah, it needs to be made very clear that there is a 50 kilometer radius at at that New South Wales Victorian border at the moment. Again, please stay updated with all of these. This could change within the next 24 hours. So that was effective as at the 8th of July, if you're watching this in a month's time. So please follow the regulations and adhere to the restrictions. Some schools as well, if you are practitioners living in a hotspot area, there's a lot of schools out there that you know, obviously would like to know if parents of the children in those schools are traveling to work from hotspot areas. So there are some schools that are actually asking for evidence to support the need for travel for work reasons. So random testing is something else we probably need to consider at the moment. Many practitioners now are considering or have been recommended Regular random testing mainly because of hotspot areas. So, what this actually means is a practitioner who has absolutely zero symptoms, has not been in contact with a COVID positive person, or in fact, even anyone with symptoms for that matter, who has chosen to do a voluntary test or who has been door knocked because they live in an area of a hotspot. There's a few, this was very up in the air in some of the forums at the moment. We had this in particular at our clinic. We made the phone call to DHHS uh, Allied Health or Health hot, healthcare worker hotline. And we were told that if you didn't have symptoms and if you hadn't been in contact with anyone who was sick and awaiting test, that you could go to work. Again, this is very, very individual. There's a lot of people out there that will say that if you get a test, then you should rightly be staying home and waiting for a negative result. But if you do have somebody knock on your door and you are not unwell at all, but you're merely living in a hotspot area and they're trying to increase the amount of testing to try and catch and trace a lot of this catchment, then, you are an essential service you can go to work now again this is going to come down to individuals i would very strongly suggest that you talk to your associations if this does happen to you and how this should be communicated and i would heed caution if you were communicating or discussing this with your patients if you were a practitioner who had been tested who had returned to work so again it's a very very messy messy gray area particularly down here in melbourne that people still don't really know what they should be doing Um, but i know in a recorded video for a phone call from ourselves that if you were symptom free and have not been present or in contact with anyone with symptoms or with a positive test then as a a essential worker you could return to work whilst awaiting tests again be very very cautious if you are in this situation and i would be suggesting heavy advice from a legal team or from your association's legal team before you go to work. Um, So the next stage after all of that, um, for some of you, I'm starting to get a bit of a headache because it is is a little bit overwhelming and yes, here we are again. But it is about maintaining a positive mindset. If we wanna get through to the end of this, and, and it's really hard to talk about thriving in Victoria at the moment when we're looking down the barrel of uncertainty, There's certainly some clinics thriving in other states and and I congratulate you on your efforts to get to that point and to get through this. Um, But ultimately, we wanna be a part of what I call the re-team, which is the team at the end that comes out of this. When you reopen and repair, when you recover, you rebuild, you restore all of your hours that you might've reduced during a lockdown or when you do do that again. When you reconnect with your patients, when you reconnect with staff coming back to work, you recognise the contributions and the people that did step up during this time. You found resilience, you reinvented yourself, you reinnovated yourself, you saw opportunity when it was needed, but also I put lastly here, remember. We need to remember that things, we need to remember firstly how we did it the first time, but remember that this could change at any point. And a lot of those other states that are are watching, we certainly didn't think that we would be back in this position here in Victoria. And a lot of it does come down to luck. New South Wales has the highest amount of recorded cases in the country at the moment, and yet Victoria at the moment are suffering with the highest amount of community transmission. It can happen from one person or one family, and it can happen very, very quickly. So we need to remember that we need to keep ourselves safe and we need to remember that this can change and we need to prepare and go back to all of our stages and all of the things that we're doing at the moment and solidify our action and what is actually working. The re-team of the people that are still going to be standing after the storm has ended. They're the ones that made the sacrifices, the ones that went above and beyond to still ensure that they've got jobs at the end of these clinics, contractor roles, rental rooms to go back to, businesses to still go back to. The ones who will get to celebrate when we get to have these big parties again and welcome all the families back. And when I get to reintroduce my GrowthRx events and the main stage and summits and courses that we can do in real lifetime, we'll celebrate these together. The ones who will look back with pride of how they manage the COVID-19 situation in years to come the invaluable support network of people that you've leaned on during this time or the connections that you've made and I know that I am honored anyone who has connected with me through growth rx over the last three months I am thrilled to know you I'm thrilled to associate with you and I am so humbled to be part of a platform that connects Allied health professionals who didn't otherwise know each other from other professions. So please use those contracts. You know, please introduce yourselves to each other because we could all do it with extra support. And, you know, they're the ones that we're going to be grateful for, the people that stepped up and, and led and dug deep. And leadership is not about leading so that people follow. It's creating influence and impact and a meaningful change. You can do this whether you're extroverted or introverted or confident or shy. It's about creating a meaningful change and, and a real difference. And this is now when we need to do it. Times of crisis is when the greatest leaders set the foundations for the future. And this is where we need many more leaders. And it is my mission and my passion to continue to create more, great leaders in allied health not only publicly but amongst your own personal teams because our end game if we don't have hope what else do we have at the moment we need to believe that we're going to thrive again we have done this before we will do it again there is no greater time to step up we are all in this together and we want to be standing in this together at the end as allied health professionals saying that we dealt with this well we were safe, we acted accordingly, and we responded as best that we could. You've got this, we got this, we can all do better and be better. We are thinking of you, those of you in Victoria, those of you particularly in the hot spots, those that are struggling to get your head around whether you can actually travel, whether you can't, those who in businesses on those New South Wales, Victoria borders, Those in aubrey Radonga, my heart goes out to you with all of the permits that you're getting in place at the moment. It it must be a frenzy out there. And I I am so compassionate for your position right now. I think we all are. But ultimately, this too shall pass. One of the great quotes that I love to lean on at the moment is by Ryan Holiday, the obstacle in in the way from the Daily Stoic. Give me a turbulent world as opposed to a quiet world. And I'll take the turbulent one. Bad companies are destroyed by crisis. Good companies survive them. Great companies are improved by them. And this is where we are right now. This is our next new normal. This is what our future holds. And we will be remembered for the way that we handle ourselves during this time, not only for our businesses, for our colleagues, for our peers, for our profession, for our family, and for the ones that we love. We have got a duty of care to do everything that we can. And even by watching this and sticking through this the whole time, you have joined me in that. But, you know, above all, as well, ask for help. If you are struggling, you know, I'm here, we're here, the group is here. There are a lot of people that you can lean on, but there's also experts who deal with these type of scenarios and the crisis and the emotions that come from it. So please reach out to people if you are struggling and make sure that you seek professional help if you really need it. So that is it from me at the moment. Thank you, everybody who listened. Um, I, I can hang on around for a couple more minutes, but please leave some comments and some questions in the thread underneath Thank you for listening. Thank you for your attention and thank you for allowing me to deliver what, what I believe to be crucial updates, but also to be able to, to lead and do what I love doing best and that's inspiring people to do better and be better across all facets of life. Thank you very, very much. This recording will be in the members area. It will also be handed to Osteopathy Australia. Australia. And if you have any questions or any additional resources, then please feed them forward, put them into the group. And I will chat to you next Thursday. Thanks very much. Bye.